Welcome, Money Guy family. You guys, man, I feel like every week, Bo now is the, we could, you could uh, equate a month to a week I, of I'll, the past. I would say six months. I feel like every day is longer and longer and longer, and things are changing so quickly that it's, uh, it's kind of hard to keep up, right? I imagine a lot of our audience is working from home. Yep. I mean, if you think about the Money Guy and a Bound Wealth team, mm -hmm. I mean, the lion's share, we have a very skeleton crew here keeping all this information coming to you guys. You probably noticed we got WFHFTE now <laughs> because Daniel is in the room, but he's also sitting there with Cleo, the cat, hanging out, you know, making sure he's knocking out the bots and the trolls and everything else. But it is, I mean, these are unique times. Yeah, I mean, are. without a doubt, this is, this is one of those, those times that you'll look back on. You'll, you'll tell your kids, you'll tell your grandkids you survived. And there's actually, you're getting a degree and hard knocks. Yep. I mean, you really are getting an education here that will serve you for the rest of your life with the wisdom that comes from the experience. Sure. I, I wanted to kind of jump into this thing because we, we want to get to your Q&A and, and answer some, a lot of these questions because people are already piling into the room. But, you know, I feel like it's always worthwhile to give you guys, this is kind of going to be, uh, I, I call this, you know, mission control yeah, here is sure. that every week that we have this craziness going on, we have kind of tabled some of our old con or the content we yep, had prepared because yep. it seems a little weird to be talking about Roth IRAs or index funds when we're dealing with so much more right now. Yep. So that's why we're going to do these unique type of shows. And we're even going to go a step further. You'll notice on Friday, we have a brand new show that will be released that we'll be talking about the actions and the steps you need to be taking right now mm -hmm. in light of what's going on. But before we get into that show on Friday, let's jump into today's Q&A. Yep. And I want to kind of first, first thing is just to remind people, why is your sound mind plan that you created before we had all this chaos, why is it worthwhile sticking to that and understanding the power of diversification? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, Brian, as you and I have been on calls all week long, I'm sure we will continue to be on calls, talking to clients, sharing with them our thoughts, sharing with them what's going on. I've heard both of us say this over and over and over again. When we get into these crazy times, it's, hey, guys, what should we be doing? What should we be changing? What should we be adjusting? And more often than not, our answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing. And they say, whoa, the world's crazy. How can you say do nothing? And this is the line that we say over and over and over again. Yeah. The plan that we came up with with you for your finances was good before this downturn. Yep. It is good in this downturn. And as we come out of it, it will still be good after the downturn. That, in fact, is what a sound financial plan is. One that's set to weather the ups and downs that the market and the world throw at you. Well, first, let's show them because, I mean, a lot of us look at the S&P 500. We talk about the S&P 500, but this has not just been an S&P 500 game. Sure. What, let's talk about diversification. So one of the things we thought we'd share with you is if we look at all the different asset classes out there, or at least a number of the different asset classes, we want to show you how they've been performing so far in 2020 year to date. Now, this is as of a few days ago, and depending on when you're watching this on YouTube, it can change drastically because the market's moving very fast. But this is what we've seen, and this is what we've been reminded of through this downturn, Diversification works. The reason that we build broadly diversified portfolios is for this reason right here. You can see that a number of asset classes are down 38, 40, 35, 55%. But there are also a number of asset classes that aren't down so far. We have some that are break even or down 2%, 4%, 5%. 
What you want to do is if you don't know for sure exactly which asset class is going to be the best performer or the worst performer, we think that the best way to approach portfolio design and construction is to diversify across the entire gamut. And we've seen this with our client portfolios. While the markets are out there flopping, the things we've been telling our clients are, you're not doing what the market is doing. When we compare your diversified portfolio to international indices, to small cap domestic indices, to all the different pieces you want to look at, your portfolio is right where it's supposed to be relative to the risk that makes sense for your circumstance. Well, here's the thing I think is interesting. We know right now that we have this health issue. Mm -hmm. We have coronavirus, COVID-19 is, is wreaking havoc on economic systems as well as people are fearful Will they catch this? Will their parents catch this? Will their grandparents catch this? It's, it's really scary stuff. But on, you add on top of that, because this is what we say, things don't happen in a vacuum where one asset class goes down. This right. is why you do need to spread it out. Because look at oil. Energy is down 55%. Does that have anything to do with COVID-19? No, it's geopolitical. We have a war going on between Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. and Russia right now. Now, th there's a lot of negative stuff to this if you're in the oil energy sure. industry. However, for most people who are just consumers, like getting gas and other things, you're actually going to see that this in the long term potentially could have a stimulus impact Absolutely. on you. But I think it's important just to understand... Things don't happen in a vacuum. It's just not like you're dealing with one variable. You actually have other things that come on the scene like this drop in oil. So that's why I need people to understand a lot of this downturn is not just because of coronavirus. There's actually some of this is also the fact that there's so many energy companies out there and we gutted the price of oil um, in this price war, which you, the consumer, will ultimately benefit from, but it does have a negative impact on the S&P 500 and other things. So just to understand that, but here's the big thing I want you to take out of this. It is hard to stay rational when markets are losing between 3 to 10% on a daily yep. basis. I mean, that is that is just hard for you to feel that, to understand how is this reasonable to walk away from this much money every day. Mm -hmm. And then you got the news media. They've gotten to a shrill pitch on the panic, the fear. And then if you go out to social media, if you want a case study on why misery loves company, go spend time out there mm -hmm. in social media. It is, it is just it, it, it just piles on top of each other. And then I want you to remind yourself of this. If you, this is very irrational. Everything you're feeling right now, is it's hard to stay normal. It's mm -hmm. hard to stay on course when you have all these irrational things. It, it makes you feel like you want to react to it. But here's what I tell you. You have, why when you do legal documents, do, it's like the first sentence talks about you make a testament that you are of sound mind mm -hmm. when you wrote your last will and testament, I would think that you need to look at yourself and ask, do I have a sound mind when I created this financial plan? And is right now, am I in sound mind when these crazy things are going on? The likely answer is no. You were in sound mind, meaning that you knew your risk tolerance. You knew how long you could stay in the market. And it better be greater than five years yep. if you're in risk assets. And then you also looked at your age, your liquidity, how much you had in cash reserves. That was all done where you didn't have to react. You actually had a plan. This is the time to stick to it. And I would encourage you, if you are having some of those irrational thoughts, some of those, oh man, I need to freak out, I need to change something. One of the things that we've been trying to help clients with is say, okay, well, let's go down your worst case scenario. Let's talk through what are all of the bad things that can happen. And I had this call yesterday where I just kind of let the client lay out there. Well, this could happen and then this and then this and then this and this and then this. And then I explained to him, okay, if all of those things happen, 
you still have your six months of emergencies fund and you still built up this level of liquidity in after-tax assets and you've still done this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing. Walking through the reason we do that sound planning when you have a rational mind is that when things become irrational, you have planned for it. So I see people keep, uh, keep saying this in the comments and it's, and it's beautiful. They say, don't just do something, stand there. Yeah. That kind of is the mantra you need to take when it comes to these wild swings that we're seeing right now. Now, I want to kind of, I want to now transition and talk about, because there's a, a new thing that's on the scene that I actually think is a great thing. There's this public, public-private relationship you're seeing where our government is trying to work with the private sector to make sure in real time we're getting equipment where it needs, where the hot spots are. But there's also a lot of discussion coming out of D.C. on things that can benefit you financially. Now, I want to give one word of caution. I get so frustrated. You guys know on this show, we stay out of politics. Sure. I feel like that you, you, there's so much politics in so many places now that I have just pulled back on the whole experience. I just want to give people the best information I can and take out the political stuff because yep. you're not going to make you're not going to change somebody's mind Absolutely not. on a podcast or YouTube channel, um, especially when the best Everyone's thing you can do irrational. is understanding yeah. their, their their finances. But every now and then, and this is why I always have to walk that tightrope. Every now and then, the political world does intersect. I'll just say it collides <laughs> with my financial world, and and we're kind of in one of those situations. Whenever they revise tax policy, I have to give you guys content on what that means. And you can't help but look at things that are going on in Washington without having politics. So here's my advice to you before we jump into the actionable things you need to be doing. We know that there is this mega stimulus plan that they're negotiating right now in Washington. I would encourage you, because I have so many clients, as well as fans of The Money Guy Show who are reaching out and going, hey, what do you think if they do this? What do you think if they do that? And I'm like, don't watch the sausage making until you actually have a bill that was agreed upon by the House and the mm -hmm. Senate, and it's essentially waiting for the president's signature. Yep. Because if you try to get involved with the sausage-making process, you'll get pulled into the bitterness, the, the political play, because yep. there's a lot, of, a lot of gamesmanship that's going on out there in social media, as well as on your local news, as well as the national news media. Just be careful with that. I would just tell you, don't pay attention to some of that stuff, because a lot of things, think about the SECURE Act. How long did it take? Oh, now, yeah. I think this is going to go much faster because sure. there's a lot of people that are feeling like we need some understandings how this is going to impact the workers, mm -hmm. the hourly workers, the small business. But I would just encourage you, protect yourself, wait until we actually get details, and then we are going to be your source. Right. We will make sure we're coming to you every week. We, as soon as we have something on paper that's signed, we will give you details of what you need to know. And, and, and tying into that... Let's kind of go through some of the things that are going on right now. Here's the first thing. Federally owned student loan interest is suspended for at least the next 60 days. Now, we gave you the web link here um, of, of what it says, but here's the part I'm going to hi that's highlighted right there. It's the second paragraph. Quote, all borrowers with federally held student loans will automatically, meaning there's nothing for you to do. No papers to file, will, no websites to visit. Will automatically have their interest rates set to 0% for a period of at least 60 days. In addition, each of these borrowers will have the option to suspend their payments for at least two months to allow them greater flexibility during the national emergency. This will allow borrowers to temporarily stop their payments without worrying about accruing interest. That's from the U.S. Mm -hmm. Department of Education. So here's the thing. I want all my hospitality workers, I want all the people who are directly impacted from this 
take advantage of this additional flexibility, but I can't help but ask myself for all the people who are salaried, who are still going to be getting a paycheck, Bo, should they just quit making payments on their on their, their student loans during this? Absolutely not. This is a great opportunity where if you can still make payments, if you still have cash flow coming in, it's a great opportunity to take advantage of this thing that's been giving. Now, certainly, if you're someone who might lose income, might lose your job, don't have your merch reserves when they need to be, take advantage. for sure, take advantage of this benefit. But if you're someone who can keep chiseling away and knocking that stuff out and stick to the plan that you had, it's going to be a great opportunity to do that. Yeah, because I think, like it says, automatic no interest will be accruing. So that means those two months, if you have the capability to do it, there'll be more money going to principal paying Absolutely. it down. So this could be a little silver lining in yep. that aspect. Here's the next thing. Extra time to file and pay your taxes. Um, the, we all know April 15th is the tax filing deadline. Sure. Um, well, as you can imagine, all of this is breaking out around us right in the heated time of tax preparation. <laughs> this is tax season yeah. right now, and we're going through all these world changes that are going on. So the government smartly and wisely decided that they were going to push the deadline from April 15th to July 15th. And here's the quote on this, and we put it up on the screen from the IRS website. Quote, taxpayers can also defer federal income tax payments due on April 15th, 2020 to July 15th, 2020 without penalties and interest, regardless of the amount owed. This deferment applies to all taxpayers, including individuals, trusts, and estates, corporations, and other non-corporate tax filers, as well as those who pay self-employment taxes. So, guys, this is a big break. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pick on one of my dearest friends in the world. So I'm going to not use his name, not going to give you any definitive stuff, but I, I did get a reach out. It, it could be Bo, but we don't know. But uh, I will tell you, I got a reach out from a friend that said, hey, Taxes are due April 15th. My stock portfolio is in the dumpster mm -hmm. right now. I had a big year last year. I need to pay some taxes. Now, this is a get-out-of-jail time here where hopefully we'll have some type of recovery. But I would tell you, this is where, remember, experience creates wisdom. Never, ever, ever put money that you need definitely in the next 12 months, 18 months. Remember what we tell you, don't put things in the financial markets unless you can leave them out there for five years. Yep. This is any outstanding tax bills that you know are coming up need to be liquid. So use this, even though you get a get out of jail card this year, meaning we're going to push this all to July 15th, don't do this again. You know, I think this is a great example, Brian, because uh, they've been talking about extending this tax day for a couple of weeks now, right? And there right. was a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. Uh, some people were saying, oh, well, it's only going to be for these type of returns, or oh, it's only going to be the filing, but you still have to pay the taxes, or oh, you're still going to file an extension to do that. This is a prime example. Until it actually was a fact, until it was actually released by the IRS what the rules were, if you started spinning your wheels trying to figure it out, you're going to drive yourself crazy and possibly fall prey to some misinformation. So this is just a great practical example. I'm not of, getting into the sausage. Don't get into the sausage making. Wait until you have your nice made sausage in front of you before you start making decisions. Now, the good news about this, typically to file an extension on your taxes, you're going to file a form 4868 for businesses. It's going to be a 7004. He just did a I know, CPA. I can't flex. help myself. Did you see that? But, it's, um, but the good thing about this, there's no extension form to file. And typically extension does not give you an extension of time to pay. It's only an extension of time to process the sure. paperwork can file the return. This is a little different. They're actually not going to charge you interest. There's going to be no penalties. You literally, they are moving the deadline from April 15th to July 15th. Mm -hmm. So if you need the additional flexibility, take advantage. Now, with that said, 
the IRS was very clear. If you are owed a refund, go ahead and submit your tax return because they're still processing tax returns. And they said, we will, you know, we're, we're still on, on track to get you a refund within 21, 21 days. days. There's other, one other teachable thing on this that I need you to be aware of. Some states have adopted this, mm -hmm. meaning some states have pushed their deadline from April 15th to July. You heard the, the governor of New York saying this was having a direct impact on how much money they had coming sure. into them. But don't just assume your state is, is following this July 15th. You need to go look it up because some are, some are not. So just make sure you're covering yourself on your state income taxes as well. There's another planning thing I've seen faults or, or information that's just not clear yet. Mm -hmm. So this is something to watch. A lot of people have asked, well, does this mean HSAs or Roth IRA contributions are going to be pushed out from April 15th to July? And there have been some commentators that said, sure, I yeah, think that's going to happen. Tax filing deadline. I have yet to see that in writing. So just measure twice, cut once to make sure you're not doing something planning wise. So if you're deferring the Roth, if you're deferring the HSA thinking you have until July, it's not definitive yet. So I just be very careful with that. Make sure you're double checking on that. And we'll bring it to you as soon as we know more details on these weekly mission command meetings. But it's not there yet. And then I want before we open it up for Q&A, I do want to kind of transition to where we are in the cycle of market emotions. If you've been watching the show or paying attention to the show for any amount of time, you've seen this illustration before. But we know that investors and human behavior are dr often driven by emotions. And when it comes to the market and how the markets are behaving, we have a wide array of emotions when it comes to being investors. And so one of the questions that we're trying to discern here at The Money Guy and for the firm at Abound Wealth is, if we think about where the general public, general investors are in their emotional behavior and their emotional mindset, if it, if it really is a roller coaster, what part of the ride are we on right now? Well, and, and you and I have had a lot of internal discussions, Bo, and the fact that I still was nervous. Even when the market was down 15, 20%, I was still getting phone calls, even from 70-year-old mm -hmm. clients who were saying, man, this looks like a great opportunity. I want to put money in. And, and what I always, because I realize at the bottom of this graph, you'll see down there next to depression, right above it, it says point of maximum financial opportunity. Yep. That, that seems easy because we all heard the adage, you want to buy low, sell high. The reality is, is nobody at the maximum point of financial opportunity Nobody wants to buy stocks. Mm -hmm. I will tell you because you have to go through this cycle. So I knew that when we were getting those calls, market just had not fully hashed out. Now, I will tell you the last few days, market's down over 30%. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting a lot more calls saying, we got to get out of this thing. That's this right. thing's going to zero. I hear this is like no time ever in history. This thing is going to zero. When I hear those things, I start realizing we have now reached anxiety, fear, depression, panic. But I think that all of our listeners, all of our viewers need to have a little more context on what capitulation, because you don't get to that maximum point of financial opportunity until you reach capitulation. But what does that actually look like? And has there been a way we can look at that with, you know, and look back in history? So I was like, okay, what we can do is Bogleheads is a website, Vanguard, we all know, Jack Bogle, you know, created Vanguard, mm -hmm. the first index fund. It's a forum out there where people are, are helping each other, trading ideas back and forth. And they, it's a huge archive, a treasure trove of what, it's kind of a time capsule of what mm -hmm. people were thinking. Well, we all know March of 2009, that first week of March, was the lowest of low of the, the, the Great, Great Recession. recession. Yep. It, was, it was just one of those times where, and I said, well, let's go back and look at that first week in March to get 
a feel for how people felt. So there was a post by this day zero, and the title thread was, will I ever have more than I put in? Now, here's the thing. There were a gazillion posts I could have pulled up because it was like every post was a people. Remember, misery loves company. So there were tons of posts I could have pulled. But this is the one I landed on. And this was on March 1st. Zero, day zero wrote March 1st, monthly portfolio checkup and contribution rebalancing time. Another brutal month. That is all. So this is bad, right? He's saying, oh, you know, another month is bad. But in our mind, remember, if you think about that market cycle of emotions, this might be the anxiety, maybe yeah. the depression. This is not capitulation. Just No, yet. it's just looking for some comfort. But then if you go a little deeper on the thread, there is a gentleman on there named Lad, who, screen name Lad, straight up capitulation. Mm -hmm. So let me read this to you. This is what Lad posted on March 2nd, the next day. Realize, these are people who are at the starting point. They don't even realize, looking back historically, they are at the absolute best time to be investors, but they think the sky is falling outside. So I'm going to read this quote from Lad. I've always been conservative, 40% stock, 60% cash equivalent for my age. He's 28, but I'm moving all future investments to a hundred percent cash. So my, a 28 year old with a hundred percent cash. literally just broke as I read that. One of the Boglehead principles is to take sensible risks to achieve financial goals. Well, I've done some thinking. And with $340,000 in current savings, ability to save forty dollars to $50,000 per year, I don't need the headache of the stock market. I can achieve my goals without it. In fact, the only thing that can prevent me from achieving my financial goals is bleeding $60,000 plus per year like I did last year. This sounds like capitulation. Mm -hmm. I'll leave my existing funds as is, but no more. The potential reward I get from index funds is not worth the risk. I'm moving toward a 10 to 90% allocation, oh. meaning 10% risk, 90% conservative for a 28-year-old investor, and plan to stick to it until I retire. This is never happening to me again. Even if I lose my job and can no longer save such a high amount, I'd rather have a guaranteed but meager retirement than go through this crap again. It's a 28-year-old guy. Putting money into this current stock market is gambling, plain and simple. I'm st I'll stick to investing. I guess that's cash. <laughs> Even if it has to go into a freaking coffee can. I hope others in my generation take the same attitude and put all the shorts, greedy bankers, and other bailout industry employees out on the streets where they belong. Uh, that is, uh, I, I don't want to say no, you know, I'm going to say it. That's heartbreaking. That's well, absolutely heartbreaking because this is a guy, when you look at what he's done, by 28 years old, he had saved $340,000. He's obviously high income because he was saving forty dollars to $50,000 per year. But because of how bad the markets got during the Great Recession, how painful it was, it sounds like he made a very permanent solution to a temporary problem. Yeah, I mean, totally. And that's the part, it breaks my heart because a 28-year-old having these type of feelings. But we did, so we crunched some numbers behind the scenes. Let's break this into two parts. Let's first look at the original $340,000, not realizing he was at the peak maximum financial opportunity point if he didn't listen to himself and go to cash, because he mm -hmm. said, I, I'm, I'm at the point I'm thinking about going to cash. And then he contradicted. He said, no, I'm going to stay as is with what I have. But he's still is a guy who's hurting. 
What does 340 turn into, even with everything we're experiencing right now? So this is the way we did this math. I want you to track with me on this, all right? We went and looked at the S&P 500 for the last 10 years through yesterday. All right, so pop quiz, what was 10 years ago from now? Well, it was I mean, March it was... of 2010. Yeah. So that's a year after a 51% recovery from March of 2009 to March 2010. So you gutted the, the V-shaped recovery. I didn't even leave You gutted that from your analysis. Over the last 10 years, S&P 500, if you just look at that one asset class, made 8.8%. So I said, okay, let's assume that Ladd would have left his money invested. And over the 11 years from March of 2009 until right now, he would have earned 8.8%. That $340,000, 8, 8.8% per year, that $340,000 will have turned into $860,000. A lot more than would have happened had he just put it in the coffee can. But that's only part of the story. And in my opinion, that's, that's not even the most heartbreaking part. The most heartbreaking part is when Lyon said, you know what? All of my future investments are going to go to 100% cash. And this is a high-income guy who had a lot of opportunity to save. He was going to save forty dollars to $50,000 a year. So we said, if all he does is save that $40,000 per year, every year, add it to his three forty dollars for 11 years, yep. what could he have done from 2009 all the way until right now, as we sit here in March, after a 30% pullback in the market, what could he have done? His $340,000 plus savings could have turned into almost one6 million dollars. So think about that. That's a 38, 39 year old in today who'd be worth close to right under $2 million in light of even with the 30 plus percent downturn, plus take into account that that 340 didn't even grow through the market V-shaped recovery of 2009. There's a lot of very conservative assumptions built into those of numbers course. you did because you were trying to, we didn't want to overplay this thing. But I will tell you guys, if you're young, Everybody out there who has at least five to seven years before you retire, volatility is your weird friend in mm -hmm. this thing. You know, if you've ever uh, – I'm a guy who always watched Scooby-Doo growing up, and I used to like when the Harlem Globetrotters or they'd have a, some other celebrity like Sonny and Cher be on sure. a special guest and things like that. And you'd be like, man, that is, a, that is strange to have – you know, I'm sure they were cross-promoting products, sure. but it was still as a kid, you're like, that's weird that they got them on this show – it's volatility is that weird special guest that somehow in that combination turns into your friend. I mean, it really yep. is. So I would, guys, just be aware that I know these are dark times. What's, what's really weird to me is like the market's up big today. Yep. So I know a lot of you guys are going to feel like you're going to look at your portfolios tonight and you're like, this is great. We're in a recovery. We don't know. I mean, this thing could be, it could go up today. It could go down tomorrow. You will never know when we've actually hit the dead bottom of the market. You just don't. It will be something, all of a sudden, we'll start stacking a few good days on top of each other, and then you'll look back in a month and go, wow, my portfolio made back 20% of the, of the part it was down. But you won't know it until you've made it through it. So that's why bottle up what you're experiencing. I know it hurts right now, and we hurt too, but I'm telling you, this is priceless experience that will serve you for the rest of your life if you can learn from this. Now, if you just experience it and you pull your hair out and you, you sell at the worst times, this will continue to haunt you, but it could turn into an opportunity for you to actually build a skill set that you didn't even uh, were aware that you could step outside of the herd mentality and actually create opportunities. So if you're someone out there that's nervous and concerned and uncomfortable, we want to remind you, think about this cycle of market emotions and ask yourself, do I find myself in the anxiety, the fear, the desperation, the panic 
the despondency, the capitulation. And if you find yourself there, just check for one moment, should I make a decision here? Should I go to cash? Should I cut off my savings? Should I try to come up with some bailout plan? Or perhaps, perhaps, is this the point of maximum financial opportunity? That if I can just make it through this, if I can just stay the course, I will be rewarded over the long term for doing so. Now, if you're someone who doesn't have emergency reserves or your job is at risk or your cash flow is at risk, certainly take care of those things. There's nothing wrong. We have phone calls every single day of folks saying, hey, you know, I just got a reduction in income from my employer. I need to cut back my savings. That's fine. That's okay. Life happens and it's okay to adjust. But the fewer things that you can change in this downturn, in this crazy time, the more likely you are to come out of it stronger, you just have to be able to weather the storm. And I I, I wanna encourage everybody, once again, we're gonna have a whole show on planning opportunities and things that you should learn from this and apply for your future financial self all this Friday. So come back Friday. It's not gonna be a live stream, but it will be a brand new show we're gonna release release just for you during these crazy times. And here's another thing, and I wanna get into the Q&A. Look, y'all realize YouTube demonetizes stuff when you mention anything about coronavirus and stuff. We don't care. Mm-hmm. We, we, this is so important to us that we want to make sure you know that we're here to be a resor- resource for you no matter what's going on. That, that's why you'll see some crazy reindeer games from a lot of content creators where they're, they're scared to say the word coronavirus or COVID-19 because they know it's going to demonetize. We think it's that important. I would just encourage you to continue to pass this information to your friends, your family, anybody that could benefit so that they have a sound financial plan that gets them through this instead of reacting. That's the biggest thing. I don't want people to feel like you have to react. Hurry up and stand still can be your friend during a lot of this. I love it. All right, so the reason we're here, the reason we all came is we want to answer some questions. You guys have financial questions. We want to be your resource that can answer that. So uh, if you're in the chat right now, if you're on Facebook, if you're on YouTube, make sure you get those to us. We have the whole team right now in the chat pulling questions, uh, and we just want to be a resource for you. So let's start. Uh, This one is from Derek, all right? Uh, and this is what Derek said. He said, hey, guys, I was watching the last virus show, and you guys mentioned locking in losses. Yeah. I have $89,000 in losses in a target date fund. Can I sell that and buy an index fund of tech or index S&P 500 and navigate around the wash sale rules? That is actually a great question, Derek. And um, here's the thing. I want to give you a direct answer on this is because I think it's a tremendous planning opportunity. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. I feel like we need to at least give some context sure. for people – because we talked about loss harvesting, what is that? Mm-hmm. And then he also mentioned wash sell rules. So yep. we need to kind of clarify those. So let's play the vocabulary game. When we talk about loss harvesting, what we're talking about is is that there is a silver lining when you go through periods where the market is getting crushed like this, is that you can actually take some of those losses, meaning sell them. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to cash, because I'm going to tell you, you immediately will want to have that money go back and be redeployed out there into the investment marketplace. But on paper, now you have locked in a loss that truthfully is a tool in your tool belt that could turn into some deductibility on your tax return. It could turn into cash in your pocket when you file your taxes in April. So that's why it's a skill set and something very valuable is because you already have these losses. Why not monetize those losses Mm -hmm. to work on your behalf? Now, the question he's asking is because there is a tax law that says if you sell a holding, take a loss, but then you buy it back within a month, 
you can't take you can't a lot of the, the losses. Loss. So yep. it's it's something you have to you understand you have to pay attention to these wash sale rules. So here's what we tell you. A target retirement fund, especially the index funds we recommend, like you know, the, like the Fidelity Freedom mm-hmm. Index, or some we tell you to go do Vanguard due diligence on some. the Vanguard target retirement funds, or some to go look at. Um, you know, all these things you're looking at. But the question is, can I go from a target retirement fund that I have a loss and go to the S&P 500? My answer is yes, because that is a different holdings. They have different components. Yes, the target retirement fund will have some S&P 500, but the IRS, their intent is not to get so much into the minutia to keep you from investing. Their biggest thing is they're trying to keep you from selling a Vanguard S&P 500 and then immediately buying the Fidelity S&P 500 and taking a loss. I would tell you those two funds are too similar. You have kind Kind of broken what what the the intent of the wash sale mm-hmm. rules are. However, if you sell a target retirement fund or even the S and P five hundred, and you bought like a total market sure. index, those are different enough that the IRS probably is not going to give you much trouble over that. So yes, you can deduct those losses. You can redeploy them into another index fund. It just cannot be the same type of fund. It just always put yourself across the table from the IRS and say, well, do I feel comfortable with what I am representing here? And I, I think that they're not trying to hurt you from having planning opportunities. They're just trying to make sure you're not selling uh, you know, something that looks just like this and buy the exact same fund just with a different name on top of it. That's what they're trying. That's the intent of the law. And, and again, I think the, the point to drive home is this did not actually change the investment strategy when you do this. If you sell an international fund and you go buy a different international fund or an international ETF and a different international ETF, you're still keeping your same investment strategy intact. You're just capitalizing on the tax opportunity. That was a great, great question. All right. This one is from Peter. He said, for broad index investors... Is it wise to continue to DCA into the stock market funds? Is it wise to continue to perpetrate a dollar cost averaging strategy? Our answer would be absolutely. If you're someone who does have the appropriate reserves in place and you have, you've done the correct order of operations, yeah, you should absolutely continue dollar cost averaging this market. One of the best ways you can do that is just by continuing to contribute to your 401k or to your employer-sponsored retirement plan. That's a wonderful way to dollar cost average into the market. Now, here's what you have to be careful of, and we've seen a lot of this. Uh, let's say that perhaps in the last year, you've sold a business or came into a big windfall or had a big bonus or fill in the blanks, and you're saying, you know what? This is an opportunity. I want to accelerate all my dollar cost averaging right now and go buy everything. You certainly can do that, and perhaps it would even work out well for you. But one of the reasons that we do dollar cost averaging plans is to remove emotion from the investing process. And there are two emotions you have to think of. Fear, which is the one that's most prevalent right now, but also greed, which is the one where someone says, you know what, I want to invest all of that money right now today this market might go down further. We might lose another 10, 15, 20%. Nobody knows. The reason we have the dollar cost averaging in place is so that whether it goes up or down, you are systematically entering your dollars into the market. And it's a great opportunity to allow you, the emotional behavioral investor, to stay the course no matter what the market throws at you. Well, dollar cost averaging, I love it because it takes and you kind of alluded to this, it takes all emotionality out of the process. We all think that we are expert Warren Buff, Buffett-esque investors Warren during these Buff. times. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where I think 
the the fearful or greedy side of us is like, well, it's falling. I got to get out. Uh, you know, that's that's the fear. But then the greedy side is, man, this thing's. I got a fifteen percent off coupon. I'll go buy more. And then you look back at your statement. And go, man, it lost another fifteen percent since I bought it. Fifteen percent off. That can be kind of hurtful emotionally. What I like about a dollar cost averaging plan is that it allows you. You don't care. You're you're coming to market every month. Every you know, however many times you have it set up with your dollar cost averaging, you're buying no matter what through it. You know, it reminds me, and I, I've told this story before. Worked at Hardee's. I was the crew chief there where I worked the drive through And, you know, Days of Thunder was one of our, our big, I was a summer that I remember I had to wear this fluorescent green hat and Days of Thunder. And I still remember the line in that movie where Robert Duvall character told Tom Cruise, just drive through it. You know, when you have bad stuff going on in front of you, just drive through it, hit the accelerator. And when I'm talking about hit the accelerator, if you're somebody like, I, you know, earlier in the show, we read a, column, a, a comment from 2009 from an investor who was 28 years old. I would encourage you, go figure out your dollar cost averaging. Maybe if you're only saving 8% in your 401k and you're not, you don't, you don't think you're losing your job. You have the cash reserves, all the things, but Bo said, see if you can increase that a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, cause these are the times I know it's hard. I know it will stress you, but you're also probably sitting at the house, your wife at your expenses. You probably got a bunch of refunds on any trips that were planned for the next two months. I mean, there, there is some weird things going on here. Figure out if you can take the emotion out, but create an opportunity off of this negativity, but drive through it by throughout the process and your long-term self will just give you a big hug. I'm not even going to say a, 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 a sloppy kiss like I typically well, do. We're doing I'm, social I'm going to say your, your, right future, no, your future no self will kisses. be very happy if you take advantage and, re and react in a very prudent good way, sound mind way, you will do, be rewarded in the long term. So that's a, a great lead in asking about dollar cost average because this is, again, I'm going to combine a bunch of different questions we're getting in the chat right now. Uh, and I think Kearns asked it really, really well. I said, if, if we don't currently have our six months of emergency fund, should we slow down our investing until we do? That's actually a really loaded question. The first thing that you need to ask is not, do I have six months of emergencies? It is for my personal situation and circumstance, what is the appropriate emergency fund level? For a number of people, it's six months. If you are a single income household or very specialized or your employment or income is at risk, six months makes a lot of sense. If you're at high risk, perhaps it's eight months, 10 months. You have to kind of assess that for where you are. But if you're someone who's not in a uh, a risky employment situation, or perhaps you have two equally earning spouses, or you have substantial assets built up, perhaps your emergency fund only needs to be three months. So the first question you need to ask is, what's the appropriate emergency level for my situation? Then after you answer that question and you determine that you're not there, yeah, perhaps it does make sense okay, I'm going to dial back my savings. I'm going to get my emergency fund in place. Well, the immediate response that I think people would ask on that is, oh, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That is exactly right. But emergency funds exist for that very reason. They are there in case you have an emergency. And it is more prudent to be covered for an emergency than to take advantage of an opportunity. So you have to make sure that you're balancing those two. But if you find that you are a bit naked and you have a means and a mechanism to unnaked yourself, 
unnaked yourself to clothe yourself, I would think about doing that. Well, I think cash reserves, I mean, I think a lot of people always try to, when you go through negative events like what's going on, try to figure out if there's some teachable moments that you're going to promise yourself and create in the future, I'm never going to get myself in this situation. And I've been there, guys. You know, in 2008 and nine, I think I shared with you guys that I thought my cash reserves was my home equity line. And mm-hmm. as, as, we've, as we've expressed, bad stuff doesn't happen one at a time. Usually things come in groups. So I know previously the banks froze my home equity line. I was without cash. And I remember thinking at that time, I'm never, ever, ever going to get myself in this situation again. If you can just get me through this, I'm going to make sure in the future I'm better prepared. So a lot of people, look, I told you it's a great opportunity to dollar cost average, even hit the accelerator on your savings. But a lot of you guys, especially my younger listeners and viewers, I've been there with you. You're like, no, it's not, it's not about capitalizing off of this opportunity. It's just surviving. I work in the hospitality field. I work, you know, for an airline, those type of people, definitely take control of making sure you have the resources to survive this but I want you to bottle up, internalize, use it, that when we do come out of this, we will come out of this, I want you to promise yourself you're going to take the planning steps that you'll never be here again. And that's exactly, you will be in a better place so that when we do hit the, the next downturn, they always happen. Remember that every, we typically have two a decade. Now, this one might be worse just mm-hmm. because of the severity of how sharp it's been very quickly. It was a black swan type event. But promise yourself you are going to learn and create a plan that when we recover, you will not be in the same situation so that you'll appreciate the value of cash reserves, but also have a systematic investment plan and then put that all into effect so that you can make it through the next downturn in a much better place. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So here's uh, the next question. This one is uh, from YouTube. This is from Nate Williams. He says, I have an opportunity to partner with someone on a new business. Is now a good time? <laughs> I'm going to let you answer that. And then what, what's, who, who asked the question? This is Nate. Nate asked that. Uh, what's so interesting, I started my first business in 2002. Now, what everybody, you know, I don't know if you remember, because it was a, a period of time now. I mean, I guess 20 years. Um, <laughs> That's kind of crazy. Dot-com bubble burst from March of 2000 all the way through November of 2002. It was a, a pretty long, drawn-out downturn there. And um, I started my business in February of 2002. So I was dead in the middle of it. Let me tell you, it's a, it's a wins versus, it's the positive versus the negatives because the negative is there's no business to be had typically in a downturn. It's hard if you can survive it. However, when economies start to recover, it is the best possible time. Remember the maximum financial opportunity, if you're looking at the cycle of market emotions, is at the dead bottom. So if everybody's struggling, if a lot of businesses have been pulled out because of how there's just not a lot of cash, liquidity, and resources, yes, if you have saved up, if you've done the measuring twice, cut once, and you've created the business plan that you've got your hot dog, I'm going to be rich business plan, you've got what I think will happen business plan, as well as, oh my God, I'm a nut for even trying to start a company, meaning worst case scenario plan. If you've done those plans, you have the cash reserves, because remember, it's going to take any business, even in a healthy economy, 
probably three years to get any footing about you. So you've got to get your planning done on the front end. That's where most small businesses die, I think. It's not the talent. It's not the passion. It's that they didn't plan for the three years of desert living you're going to have while you're trying to grow your business. If you've done those pre-planning steps, by all means, starting a business in a downturn can be tremendously valuable because when we hit that recovery market and everybody's scrambling now to work with new vendors, they're looking to hire, you know, and get things going, you know, for their own business, it might create a tremendous opportunity for you. But don't skip those planning steps on the front end. Now, if you just see an opportunity and you say, man, this would be a great time for me to bounce because I just lost my job. But, you know, it it could get it could be hard just because that three years is the desert for you, and you need to be prepared for that. Now, so that was answering the question about starting a new business. You know, one of the other things that we've talked about, Brian, and I'll be curious to see if we're right on this, because all the time we come up with these thoughts and theories and opine. What I think is going to be interesting is that there will be a lot of, just like individuals, a lot of businesses that did not plan for this contingency well. They didn't have appropriate reserves or had too much debt or uh, had too heavy of a payroll, or fill in the blank on the things that might have happened. That's going to go from small business all the way up to major large business. One of the outcomes we think that could potentially happen, depending on how long this thing lasts and how deep it goes, is there could be some consolidation, again, on big businesses as well as small businesses. If you are someone who has been building your cash reserves and has been saving and don't, doesn't have an employment risk and doesn't have a cash flow or liquidity risk, there probably are going to be some opportunities, just like there are opportunities out there in the liquid stock investment market to go out there and put your money to work. Perhaps there are also opportunities that if this, Nate, if you're asking about buying into a current business that's existing, but maybe it's having some issues. Yeah. If you're on solid financial footing and the business that you're looking at could use and infusion of capital or human capital or thoughts or whatever, this might be a great opportunity to capitalize on that because, and it's just like Warren Buffett says, when it starts raining gold or raining opportunities, you want to reach for a wash tub, not a thimble. If you are someone out there who is in a solid foundational state, maybe it does make sense to start looking for those really awesome once-in-a-lifetime opportunities because I got to believe that's what Warren's doing right now. I got to believe he's licking his chops, figuring out Ooh, what are the next companies I'm going to buy? What are the next things I'm going to go out and do? Yep. As much as an 89-year-old would be. As much as an 80. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we can, we can do a few more. A few, okay. Yeah, she said, she said yes. All right. Uh, okay, this one is from Kevin. He says, hey, asset allocation question. I love these because they're investment related. One, should we be rebalancing? Two, is this a good time to be in bond funds? Ooh, man, I, ooh, this one, this one gets me. Well, I'll, I'll be curious to see what you add after I put my part, is that without a doubt, I think that one of the, the strategies, tools, we've talked about loss harvesting previously, where you lock in the losses, redeploy the money so that you can take the tax deduction off your tax return. But also, while you're doing the loss harvesting, especially when the market's down at the point we are now where we're at 30% down or so, you know, with the broad markets, also look at the reallocation opportunity because there is a natural opportunity in the fact that your bonds have probably... They haven't, they, they, they've lost a lot less than the broad sure. markets have, but they've also become a little bit bigger a portion of your allocation. Meanwhile, the stock side of things have gotten crushed. Mm-hmm. So they're a smaller portion of your asset allocation. So if you can do, I would combine the loss harvesting with the reallocation, what it will naturally do is allow you to take advantage of the lost value of the stock market to where 
you're buying stocks while they're lower, selling bonds while they're probably at a, a, at a better valuation mm -hmm. standpoint because interest rates have gone down, gone down. So your existing bonds look a lot better since they were paying higher interest rates mm -hmm. previously. Yes, by all means, take advantage of rebalancing, looking at your asset allocation. You can combine that with the loss harvesting of locking in the paper gains or, I mean, the paper losses. And it, there, there's lots of things there. But I will tell you, it is harder. And I'd be curious to get your take as a CFA, Bo. Sure. Bonds are weird. Bonds have been weird for years, guys. <laughs> this is the thing, because we have been told, if you would have told us, I, we even put this in our commentary, 2019, at the beginning of 2019, Everybody was predicting, because this was the first year that we had cash holdings. We're now making over 2.5%. We were all getting excited. Finally, our risk-off clients, our older clients, are going to get rewarded with interest rates that pay them on cash at least 25 to 3%. Bonds will get back to making 5 to 6 7%, you know, where we can actually get some yield out of the portfolios and not get so far out on the risk spectrum. And then what happened? We had a three rate cuts mm -hmm. into 2019 that actually the treasuries and everything else actually went down in 2019. And everybody's like, what? And then in 2020, the same thing has happened. So bonds, because we just don't, because the world's in this thing together, the inflationary pressure that you would think that we would have has been nowhere to be seen because you have all the central bankers are all kind of in horrible situations. The balance sheets of most countries now have lots of debts, lots of liabilities. So there's a lots of incentive to keep interest rates super sure. low. And since everybody's on the same game, it, it's created some crazy distortions. Yeah, I actually love that answer. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to it just a, just a touch. Uh, let's say that before this downturn happened you were in an 80-20 portfolio, 80% risk assets, 20% risk off, or we'll call them bond assets. That's a young person. What is rebalancing? Rebalancing is going from, I don't know, like 77-23 back to 80-20. That's a rebalance, right? Or, you know, figure out the numbers there. Here's what a rebalance isn't. It's not an 80-20 before this thing happens. You're like, oh, wow, this makes a lot of sense. I'm going to go to a 95-5 or a 100-0. That's not rebalancing. That's changing your entire investment strategy. Or going to a 60-40. Or going to a 60-40 and going the other way. Yeah. That's not what rebalancing is. Rebalancing is tweaking around the edges to take advantage of opportunities. Now, I, I don't know why. I guess I just attract them. I work with a lot of cowboys. So I'm getting this question right now from the folks who aren't freaking. And by the way, I don't mean Dallas cowboys. It'd be cool. <laughs> I'd love to work with some of the cowboys if you want to reach out. But this is the question that I keep getting. Hey, I, I don't need to own any bonds. Why wouldn't I just take them out? And this is what I've been reminded. The reason your portfolio right now is withholding this volatility well, is weathering this storm well, is because we made the decision, even a year, two, three years ago when you didn't want that asset class in your portfolio, now we are seeing the reason that it is in there. We designed for portfolios that should withstand the long term. So in your question, is now a good time to be in bond funds? It depends on where you are, your risk tolerance, your time horizon, your specific needs, your specific circumstance, now might be a really good time for you to be in a lot of bond funds. Now might be a time for you to not be in a ton of bond funds. It depends less on what's going on with the current market environment and more about your unique personal situation. I think if you can answer that question, don't let the market drive those decisions. Let all the other pieces of the equation drive the decisions to what your asset allocation should yeah, look like. I mean, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds are probably going to be more aggressive and experiencing more of the market volatility. But I will tell you, my 50-, 60-, 70-year-old clients, 
I think they, they, they're not really worried about what happened to interest rates. They are loving the fact that the bonds or the risk-off assets are essentially serving as that emergency break on their elevator. Yes, sure. the elevator goes up and down, and we know we have this little thin cable that's holding us up, and we trust it most of the time. But man, is it great when that cable starts to fray and has issues like what's going on with the financial markets. And we like that there's some redundancy or protection sure. by having the bond. So, yes, it's a weird time to be an investor in fixed income. But, man, is it great when you have volatility like this to make sure that when the market's down 35 percent, you're only getting 40 percent to 50 percent of the downside. You can sleep a lot better. And that's what people who are counting on these assets to maybe provide current income it all comes into play. So uh, hopefully, I think unique answers, unique times, mm -hmm. but hopefully we shared enough there that people could see how you need to be thinking about these things. All right, this is one, this is a good one to end on. Not because of the question, but I think because of where we're going to go. This is from Douglas. And he said, what percentage of people really have a six-month emergency fund? And so he's asking for a percentage, but I think this is the bigger question. Brian, we've done a show on this before. What's the number of like folks who couldn't come up with a thousand in America? They couldn't come up with a thousand dollars for emergency. What's that number? It's pretty consistent. About every year, it ranges between fifty-six to sixty percent of the population can't come up with a thousand dollars. So okay, so let's use sixty because it's a nice. Sixty percent of folks can't come up with a thousand bucks. So sixty percent of Americans don't have a six-month emergency fund. I don't know what the impetus for your question is, Douglas, but this is what I would ask of you or any of you listeners out there. If the majority of Americans aren't keeping emergency funds, are freaking out in this downturn, are selling their assets, or cutting back their savings, and doing all of these things that we know time and time again aren't prudent ways to build wealth and ultimately move towards a life of financial abundance, do you want to be part of the majority or part of that unique minority that goes the road less traveled to actually be able to achieve financial abundance one day. So yeah, maybe most Americans don't have six months of emergency reserves, but I can tell you for every client that I'm talking to that does have that emergency fund in place, even though their portfolio might be down 20, 25, 30%, they're okay because they've followed the order of operation and taken the necessary steps to be able to stick to their plan long-term. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I mean, it's one of those things. We just had our, we had an episode that just came out recently on a wealth survey. We actually surveyed our clients, Money Guy clients, and the lion's share, I would actually say, I don't have the numbers right in front of me because we're doing this through during the live Q&A, but it was that pretty much all of our clients had at least the six months. Yep. So if that's the behavior of the 20% of the public that is doing it right versus the, the 60% that is doesn't even have $1,000, I would tell you, once again, this is a learning opportunity. Internalize what is going on now. Figure out the things you miss, but also the things you wish you could do better. And I want you to kind of figure out that when we do recover, like I said, we will recover, that you do it right in the future, that you do have the cash reserves. Because I know that that's hard. I know a lot of people, especially if you have debt issues and other things, that's why we do. We respect the foo. You know, when we talk about the financial order of operations, that's why we created it. Because a lot of you guys might be in a situation where you have debt. You're like, cash reserves? I'm just trying to make sure I can pay my minimum payments mm -hmm. on my credit card. 
you're not at the point where you should be saving 20 to 25% of your income yet. You've got to come back to the first steps, second steps, third steps of the financial order of operation. And that's why we did create it. So you have those steps of action and you know which order to do them in so that you can maximize these opportunities. When you go through a downturn like this, this is ground zero to figure out how you can do this better in the future. And a lot of you guys are in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. There's still a lot of life left. There's still a lot of financial opportunities coming in the upcoming decades. Go figure out what you can do to maximize and benefit and become better because of what we're facing. Guys, we, we love being able to be here. We love being able to do this show for you guys to hopefully be the calming voice of reason amidst the chaos. If you haven't a chance to go to our website, make sure you go to moneyguide.com. You can contact us there. We actually have a resource page where we have all kinds of deliverables you can take and download. You can actually reach out to us through Money Guide. You can also go to the wealth management page, aboundwealth.com, and you can reach out to us there. We're here to be a resource for you. If you're someone who needs help navigating this craziness, or you just have questions, or you want to get our insight, we encourage you reach out to us. We are here for you guys. Now we're going to be sending this out to not only our, you know, the Money Guy family, but our Abound Wealth family. We like to share this because this is mission control. I want to give a huge compliment to our clients. Mm-hmm. You guys, now yes, we've had a few. I think the reason our message sounds so united is that we can hear each other through the walls talking about to sure. our clients, calming them down, making them feel better. But I will tell you the lion's share, man, you, we've gotten some nice emails from people saying, how are you guys holding yeah, up? You know, and right. I even a lot of you guys out there in the listener audience, you said, Brian, your tone was different. You know, and I think you're used to me being that friend that you'd like to have a you know, financial nerdy friend that you'd like to break a beer with. You know, or is, is, I get that. And I want to thank you guys for reaching out. I want to thank our clients for just being awesome. The abundance cycle. What's awesome is I love that we come and we give you this free information. We've been doing this since 2006. You learn, apply, grow. I love that you guys are trying to take care of us too. And it, it warms my heart. This whole, there's been so many goosebump moments from having our audience, both with the Money Guy family plus our Abound Wealth clients. Yep. It, it's truly awesome. And that's why we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep bringing it to you. Um, I just feel so happy that we have this outlet to keep sharing the information that um, we know this stuff works. We know that it, this is the first time in hit, you know, first time for most of us that we've gone through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there's not teachable things we learned in the past from other downturns of the dot com bubble, the Great Recession. I mean, we've been doing this for decades now. That there are definitely teachable things that you can apply in your own personal finances, and we're trying to help you to take the experience of this and turn it into wisdom and turn it into things that you can use for your own personal benefit over the long term. I'm your host, Brian Preston, with Mr. Bo Hansen. We'll see you next week, and then make sure you tune in Friday uh, for our special episode of what you need to be doing, both planning right now as well as when we come out of this. Best opportunity is to get your plan right. We're going to share all that with you Friday, so make sure you subscribe on YouTube. However you listen to us on the podcast audio format, we're going to keep bringing you great information. Just keep coming back. We'll talk to you soon. Money Guy team, out. The Money Guy Show is hosted by Brian Preston. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through The Money Guy Show. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.